Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. If you'll take your scriptures in hand and turn with me to Daniel chapter 1, we're continuing our series tonight, Stand Victoriously, and tonight's message is titled, The Power of Commitment, The Power of Commitment. H.M. Murray wrote lines that we should go back to often to challenge our lives in the area of commitment. He said, until one is committed, there is hesitancy. There's always a chance to draw back. But the moment that one definitely commits, then God moves too, and a whole storm of events erupts. All manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, persons, and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would come his way, begin to flow towards him once he commits. You know, the uh, uh, illustration of commitment is actually the artist Michelangelo, who was probably the greatest artist in Western civilization. And at the age of 30, he was commissioned to paint a simple depiction of the 12 apostles on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And by the time he was finished, four years later, the project had expanded from just the 12 disciples to include 400 separate figures and nine scenes from the book of Genesis. For four grueling years, Michelangelo laid on his back on on scaffolding, painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, a work that permanently ended up damaging his eyesight and wore him down physically. One day while working diligently on a hidden corner of the Sistine Chapel that no one would ever see, he was asked, why? Why bother with that corner? Why bother with all the detail?" And Michelangelo's simple reply was, even if no one else sees, God will see. He was committed to excellence in his task. And and because God would see, he was even going to do that little obscure corner that no one else would see. Someone once said that the word that best describes commitment is the word alone, alone. John Maxwell, a Christian leadership uh, guru, so to speak, writes, it is human to stand with the crowd. It is divine to stand alone. It's human to follow the people and drift with the tide. It's godlike to follow the truth and stem the tide. It's natural to compromise conscience and to follow social and religious fashion for the sake of gain and pleasure. It's divine to sacrifice both at the altar. And he was talking about commitment. And the person who is committed is willing to go against that which is popular, that what everybody else is doing, and they're willing to do it even if they have to stand alone. And Paul understood the aloneness of commitment to God when he wrote in 2 Timothy 4.16, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So here he is in prison, facing possible execution for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And out of fear, likely out of hardship, uh, those that were with him as a part of his ministry team, they abandoned him. And he said, no one stood with me. Of course, he would go on to say that the Lord stood with him, but no humans stood with him. So he was alone. So these are the words of a battle-scarred apostle in describing his first appearance before the emperor Nero 
to give answer in defense of his life. And in Matthew 7, 14, Jesus said, Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. If you're committed to God, you have to realize that you will be on the narrow road with the few, while the crowd that is not serving God is on the wide road that leads to destruction. So if you want to be popular, you're not going to be able to follow Christ. If you're willing to stand alone, then you will be able to live for God. But when you see someone who is committed, they're always doing something different than the crowd. Not because they're trying to be different, but because their commitment sets them apart. And the world is in desperate need of Christians who are committed. The famed evangelist Dwight L. Moody said, the world has yes to see with what God will do with one man who is fully consecrated to him. And Daniel was a man who knew the meaning of being fully consecrated or committed to God. And Daniel's life becomes an inspiration, a model, and a conviction as to what commitment means in the way that we live out our life. Read with me, if you will, Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 8. Then the king instructed Asphanaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king, oh, excuse me, I skipped the part, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans or Babylonians. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuch gave the names. Uh, for Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. What's going on here? The Babylonians had invaded Jerusalem, destroying the city and carrying many of the Jews into captivity. Of course, it was a judgment for uh, the Jewish people's own sin. God had warned them through the prophet Isaiah. For decades, he warned them through the prophet Jeremiah to repent of their idolatry and immorality, or he would allow their enemies to invade and destroy Jerusalem, and that's exactly what happened. And as a result of uh, these invasions, uh, the Babylonians took some of the Jewish people. In the first wave, they took the elite. They took the ruling class, and they took them to Babylon in order to train them uh, for leadership in the Babylonian Empire. So Nebuchadnezzar's plan was take the top youth from Jerusalem, enculturate them, immerse them, retrain them, and re-educate them. In other words, brainwash them in the Babylonian culture, language, and beliefs. And the intent was that they would become leaders in the Babylonian Empire, and they would be sent to govern various 
parts of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's empire. It was a three-year intensive, immersive educational program intended to irreversibly sever their previous identity as Jews, as those who worship the one true God, and, and inculcate them into uh, the, the worship of the Babylonians, the culture of the Babylonians, the language of the Bab Babylonians. And by the end of the course, the goal is that they would be so Babylonian that they couldn't even remember their past culture, language, identity, or faith. And they wanted to get the cream of the crop to fall in love with Babylon so that they would forget God and never want to go back to Jerusalem. And that's just what the devil tries to do today. But we need to learn how to stand like Daniel and resist the world's enculturation process because the enemy is trying to get us to fall in love with the world and abandon our love for God. And the Bible tells us that we cannot love the world and love God at the same time. And the enemy's trying to get us to fall in love with the world and abandon our faith in God. But like Daniel, we need to learn how to stand and resist the world's inculturation process that is aimed at causing us to forsake God and his ways. And the first thing we see is that commitment to God enables us to resist the world's conditioning. Conditioning is a process of training or accustoming a person to believe or behave in a certain way and to accept certain things as the way of life, to accept certain things as norm. In fact, there's been a big enculturation process over the last couple of decades to um, make people accept as normal certain lifestyles that are in contradiction with God's work. And that enculturation process has been through politics, through media, through education, uh, through um, news. I mean, every which way you go, that bombardment has been coming against the mind, uh, minds and hearts of people to make them accept as normal these lifestyles that are in contradiction with God's word. Now, there are four methods the enemy uses in the process of conditioning. And it's not just in regard to what we describe, but conditioning us to accept the ways of the world and to fall in love with the world and abandon our faith in God. There are four methods that he uses in this conditioning process. And these methods are, are exemplified in, in Babylon and what they did with Daniel and his three friends. The first step is isolation. The, uh, Bab uh, the Babylonian emperor, Nebuchadnezzar, said, bring certain of the children of Israel. So they're going to take them away from their home, away from their family, away from their synagogue, their place of worship, away from a God and faith uh, uh, encompassing culture into a pagan foreign culture. So the enemy wants to remove us from our spiritual environment. He works to separate us from our relationship with other believers in Christ, whether it's through offense, that's a big tool the enemy uses to get a hold of somebody's life. He makes us offended with somebody in church so that we start saying, you know what, I'm not gonna go back anymore. I'll just watch online. And then after a while, watching online becomes hit and miss and less and less, because with the offense in your heart, it's gonna separate you from God. So he, he will use offense, he will use busyness. The enemy loves to use busyness to keep us away from the things of God and the people of God. 
you know, just, I'm too busy to go to church. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to fellowship. Well, then, you're too busy. Hello? If you're too busy for, all, for, for God and for the things of God and for church and, and the people of God, then you're too busy. Something's got to give, and it must not be God and the things of God. Amen? But he loves to use busyness. He loves to use offense. And now he wants to use comfort to separate us from the people of God, from the work of God, and from the house of God. What do I mean? How does the enemy use comfort? The comfort of staying at home and watching the live stream church in our pajamas with a cup of hot chocolate. Hallelujah. He wants to separate us, but then we're out there on our own because we're not building relationships with other Christians. We're out there on our own. The enemy's goal is to isolate and insulate us from the body of Christ and from relationship with other believers and connection with our spiritual leaders. Why? Because that then brings us to the next step of the enemy's conditioning strategy, indoctrination. In verse 4, it says that they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. The goal was to teach them to think and speak and act Babylonian. They would attempt to reprogram their spiritual, moral, and ethical convictions so that they would think like Babylonians. And there is a constant indoctrination that is happening around us every day in the educational system, in the news media, in entertainment, in social media, in politics, in every realm of society. It is a systematic brainwashing to conform to the lies, the beliefs, the morals, the values, and practices that are deemed as socially acceptable and politically correct by the masses. But what did we say about the masses and what road they're on? They're on the wide and easy road that leads where? to destruction. And if we want to serve God, then we need to be on the narrow road and we need to be willing to be in the minority, even standing alone if necessary, because that road is the road that leads to life and eternal life. Amen. But there's a constant indoctrination that's taking place. And if you're not careful, the constant bombardment of the world's views and values will begin to take root in your heart and in your mind. So how can we stand against the constant messaging of the world if 46% of American Christians say that they spend less than five minutes a day in the Bible? Now, if we're on social media, the average American is on social media, according to statistics, about six hours a day. Six hours a day on social media? Five minutes for Christians, five minutes a day in the Word. How can we resist the constant bombardment of the messaging of the world if we are exposed to it hours on end per day and only in the Word for five minutes per day? And in addition to that, the average Christian today attends church only twice a month. Did you know that a decade ago, the average Christian attended church twice a week? Now, the average Christian attends church 
twice a month. How can you be discipled if you're only going to church twice a month? I mean, just think of it this way. How much benefit would it be if you only went to the gym twice a month? Virtually none. And how many of us only eat twice a month? We need to be spiritually fed a lot more than twice a month. To resist the world's conditioning, we must be fully committed like Daniel, determined to not defile ourselves with this world. Now, this conditioning of isolating us and then um, this constant bombardment uh, of indoctrination leads to the third step of the enemy's strategy, which is compromise. Verse 5. Notice that Daniel and his friends were being enticed with the daily rations or provision of the finest and richest of royal food and drink from the king's table. Now, you say, what's the big deal? Well, first of all, back then, the food would have been likely dedicated to idols, the, the demonic gods that they worshipped in Babylon because ba Babylon was very occultic in their worship. But secondly, you know, you look at it and you say, food, what's the big deal? It seems like something that's minor. But if you stop for a moment, you'll realize that it was just one fruit in the garden that caused all the problems that we're still experiencing today, wasn't it? One fruit that opened the door to Satan and unleashed the consequences of sin on the human race that we still see so prevalent today in the world. The enemy tries to get us to compromise in what seems like small and insignificant things. Because he knows that if we will compromise on a small thing, that will violate our commitment to God and open the door greater to his influence and to other areas of compromise in our life. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14, it says that it is the small foxes that small spoil the vine. And, and what happens is that the small foxes, you know, if you have your vineyard fenced off or whatever, the small foxes, they could come from underneath. And they go underneath the branches of the vine where they cannot be seen. And they gnaw away at the trunk of the vine. Nobody sees them because you see all the leaves and everything that are spreading everywhere. But they're gnawing away at the root of the vine until the vine begins to dry and wither. And then you realize, oh my goodness, a fox got in here and chewed away at the trunk. And he tells us that it is the small foxes that spoil the vine. Or in other words, it's the little things that we overlook because we think, oh, it's no big deal. But that is the very thing that will eventually bring our downfall. Daniel understood this, and he refused to eat the king's portion. We need to be committed like Daniel to refuse to compromise even in the little things. Even in the little things. And that leads then to the fourth prong or the fourth factor of the enemy's strategy. And that is changing our identity. 
In verses six and seven, it says that they gave Daniel and his three Hebrew friends different Babylonian names. And those Babylonian names were all associated with one of the Babylonian gods that they worshiped. So for instance, the name Daniel, a Hebrew name that means God is my judge, is changed to Belshazzar, which means Mabel or Marduk, which is another name for that God, protect his life. So take away the name of the God that you serve, and now you're looking to this foreign God, this pagan God, as your help and as your protector. Azariah, which means God is my help, becomes Abednego, which means a servant of Nebo, another one of the gods that the Babylonians served. Hananiah, which means God has been gracious to me, becomes Shadrach, which means at the command of Ahu, another god that the Babylonians worshipped. Mishael, who means who is what God is, or to be like God, becomes Meshach, which means who is what Aku is, so to be like Aku. So they're systematically changing their identity, a way of saying that those who were servants of a Jewish God were now servants and worshipers of these Babylonian gods. And let me tell you something, identity is powerful because who you believe yourself to be controls how you live. And the enemy is wanting to change people's identity. Is it any wonder that there is so much identity confusion today? Are you a he, she, a they, or a them? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Identity confusion, you know, and and a a, a lot of other areas of confusion. I'm not going to get so blatantly into it, but you all know, you know, there's gender dysphoria and, uh, you know, uh, non-binary and all, so much identity confusion. Where is that coming from? It's coming from the enemy. One author states, Satan assaults identity. He knows if he can control who you perceive yourself to be, he can control how you live. And since our identity shapes the trajectory or direction of our lives, our spiritual enemy wants nothing more than to take your identity captive. And as you read through the book of Daniel carefully, you see he only uses the Babylonian names when relating to how the Babylonians referred to them. But when Daniel refers to himself or to his three friends, he always uses the Hebrew names, the names of faith, the names that reflect his God. Daniel and his friends were refusing the identity that the Babylonians were trying to impose upon them. So they they refused to compromise by eating the king's meal. They refused to accept the identity that was being foisted upon them because they refused to conform. Romans 12, 2 says, Therefore be ye not conformed to this world. And the word conform means to be pressed into the mold of this world. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's why it's so important to be regularly in the word and regularly in church so that our mind can be renewed because we are being constantly bombarded by the world with messaging that is intended to press us into its mold. And the only way to counteract that is to continually renew our mind with the word of God by reading the word, by sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word so that our mind can be washed clean of the message of this world and it can be made new by the truth of God's word 
In Ephesians 3.20, Paul reminds us that we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Let me tell you something, we are citizens of heaven. Our sense of identity must not be derived from this world, but from our relationship to God and his people. We are citizens of heaven. That is our identity. We need to let God, we need to let his word define who we are. We are a child of the most high God. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are set apart from the world to be light in the darkness and to bring glory and honor to God. This is who we are. Amen. And like Daniel, we must refuse to allow the world to define or to change our identity amen now we've seen the enemy's plan now let's look at Daniel's commitment to overcome the conditioning process standing against the conditioning of the world requires a wholehearted commitment to live for God if Daniel was to remain true to God in the face of this assault on his spirituality it was going to require a wholehearted commitment and he shows us what that commitment looks like first of all commitment is the result of our personal relationship with God not our circumstances or in our environment have you ever seen somebody that they're committed when they're in one environment but they're compromised when they're in another environment I'll give you an, uh, uh, an illustration in church we are glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You know, we are dressed modestly and we act and behave like a Christian. Outside of the church, we're dressed provocatively. We may uh, tell off-color jokes. We uh, may curse, amen, when we're a di with a different crowd. That's not a true Christian, amen? Because a true Christian represents Christ all the time, wherever we are, in whatever environment we are. We do not give in to the pressure of a different environment so that we can fit in. Amen? Yes. Praise the Lord. In fact, we are glad to stand out and stand alone if need be so that we can be true to Christ. David had a personal relationship with, Daniel, excuse me, had a personal relationship with God. And based on that, he made up his mind not to defile himself. He didn't ask anyone else what they thought. He determined, I am going to serve God all the way. I'm not going to defy myself. And we sing a song when we do water baptism. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. That's the kind of commitment that we're talking about. Daniel didn't sit around and think for a day or two, should I eat the king's food? He didn't ask some of the other people that were in the king's training program, what do you think? Should I eat the king's food? No, he knew what it meant to eat the king's food and he made a determination that I am going to be committed to God. I am not going to compromise. And he lived out that commitment for the next seven plus decades of his life and he shined brightly as a light in the midst of of a dark empire it is out of our personal relationship with God that we must make our commitment to live lives fully devoted to him regardless of what anyone else does or what anyone else says and it's only by maintaining a close personal relationship with God that we will be able to live out that commitment over the long haul regardless of our circumstances amen commitment must be settled before the moment arises where it is tested. Let me say that again. Commitment must be settled before the moment arises where it is tested. See, when the moment of test comes, that's pretty much too late to decide whether you're going to be committed. 
You need to make that determination beforehand. Daniel didn't get caught up in the emotion of the moment. He made the decision before the food was ever brought to him that he was not going to defile himself. As one writer said, the battle is won before the battle is begun. The battle is won before the battle is begun. You need to make that commitment. Someone said the most important decision you ever make is the decision you make before you ever have to make a decision. The decision you make before you ever have to make a decision. Let me give you an example that, of that. If as a single person, you make a commitment to never drive alone in a car with a person of the opposite sex, to never be alone in a secluded place, to never have a member of the opposite sex alone in your house or apartment, it is quite unlikely that you'll ever fall into sexual sin. Amen? Because you're not putting yourself in a situation that could lead to the weakness of your flesh. The most important decision you make is the decision you make before you have to make a decision. I remember a story uh, that one preacher told about a couple that uh, they came to him one day and, and uh, they, were both, they were both, you know, young people, grew up in the church and everything like that. And they came to him just broken and devastated and crying in his office. And he's trying to find out what happened. And they said, oh, you know, pastor, we, we went out on a date and we went out to eat. And, and then we decided to take a drive. And, and then we drove up, you know, to this scenic outlook and, and we decided to park. And, and then we, we turned on the radio and and then you know one thing led to another and pastor we are so sorry but you know the devil made us do it and they had fallen into sexual sin so um the pastor said now let me understand this the devil made you ask her out on a date well no pastor the devil made you go out together well no the devil made you take a drive up to scenic outlook. No. The devil made you park and turned on some nice soft music. Well, no. You see where I'm leading? Wasn't the devil that made him do it. It was the fact that they had not made the right commitment up front to not put themselves in a position like that. And when they put themselves in a position like that, the weakness of the flesh led to their failure and and the devil will take opportunity of that when we have not made that decision to be committed to christ amen daniel made a commitment and he acted on it he lived it out Jonathan Edwards was a minister that God used mightily in the first great awakening, which was a revival that spread across the entire United States, brought several hundred thousand people to Christ. And his now famous sermon that sparked that revival was titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And as he preached, it's described that the hearers in the church that morning began to cry out and wail and they began to run and the church had columns along the side and they began to run and cling to the columns because they described later on that as he preached they felt that the ground was opening up and that hell was about to swallow them into the abyss and, and, and there was a great move of repentant that, repentance that day that brought that revival but years before that happened at the age of 19 Jonathan Edwards wrote what he called 70 resolutions to live a holy life and he weakly reviewed the list of his 70 resolutions and prayed God's grace to help him live them out and this is why God was able to use him in such a powerful way. Like Daniel, Jonathan Edwards resolved as a young man to live a life of holiness. And he lived that commitment out before the Lord 
the remainder of his life, day in and day out. We need to develop convictions now that will guide us when we find ourselves in circumstances that would pressure us to act otherwise. We need to settle in our heart to live a life consecrated to God now, and we need to settle in our heart the principles that are necessary to guide that God-honoring life. If you don't settle it in your heart now, we're going to get tossed back and forth by various voices and by various situations. So we need to develop biblical convictions and we need to commit to live by them. We need to choose whether we're going to live like a Babylonian or we're going to live like a Christian, but we can't do both. Are we going to live the world's way or are we going to live God's way? But we can't do both. Amen. There are too many Christians that are still trying to settle issues that they should have settled years ago. And it's evident in their compromised uh, Christian life and in their struggle to really live a life that honors God. Commitment is tested by action. Your commitments will be tested. Arthur Gordon said, nothing is easier than saying words. Nothing is more difficult than living them day by day. There was a newly elected judge who during his acceptance speech said, I wish to thank the 424 people who promised to vote for me. I wish to thank the 316 people who said that they actually did vote for me. I wish to thank the 47 people who came out last Thursday to vote. And I wish to thank the 26 folks who actually did vote for me. Did you get the point? The numbers whittled down. 424 said they were going to do it, but it ended up that only 26 actually did. Not everyone who says they're going to do something actually does it. But in respect to God, when we make a commitment to God, we need to commit to live it out every single day. Daniel made a commitment and he lived it out even when it was tested in the most difficult of situations. Daniel was committed to pray three times a day. And even when the other leaders of the Persian Empire got jealous of Daniel and was looking for a way to get rid of him and concocted a plan that the only thing that they could find to accuse Daniel of was that he prayed three times a day. They couldn't find bribery. They couldn't find sexual scandal. Now look at any politician. You can find a whole list as long as your arm of things that you could probably accuse them of. But they couldn't find anything on Daniel because he was committed to God. So they said the only way we're going to get him is if we get the king to make a proclamation that no one can pray to any other god except to the king for 30 days because back then they practiced emperor worship. And so they said, if we can get the king to sign it, this is a sure thing. We can get Daniel out of the way. And so they went and they buttered up the king and said, oh, king, you're so wonderful. And we hope that you live forever. And we really want to honor you. And the way we've thought about honoring you is that you should make a proclamation that nobody can pray to any other God except to you for 30 days. And, and they stroked the king's ego. And so he decided to make the proclamation, not thinking about how it would affect Daniel, whom he loved and who was his second in command. So they made the proclamation. And you know what the Bible says? That when Daniel heard that the proclamation had been issued, he went and he prayed as he had always done. You see, he had a commitment to pray three times a day. He did it every day for his life from the time that he was a youth. And it didn't matter that this proclamation under penalty of death had been issued. 
he was still going to live out his commitment to God. And we know the result of that. He was arrested, brought before the king, thrown into the lion's den. But at night, God sent an angel that protected him. And the next day, uh, the king comes and says, Oh, Daniel, did the God that you serve deliver you from the lions? And Daniel spoke out from the, the lion's den and said, Yes, O king. And, and, and the king praised God as the only God, the only true God, and issued a decree throughout the kingdom that this God, Daniel's God, should be worshipped throughout the kingdom. So it was a testimony uh, even to the king and to his entire kingdom. But we must be re resolved to live out our commitment even when it is tested. And commitment begins with little things in our lives. In Luke 16:10, Jesus said, "He who is faithful in what is least will be faithful in what is much, and he who is unjust in what is least will be unjust in what is much." If God can't trust you to do what is right and to be faithful in little things, then he knows he can't trust you in the big things. Cuz if you can't honor God with the little things, how much harder is it going to be? to honor God with the big things in your life. Daniel was committed with the little things, like not eating the king's food, like praying three times daily, even when prohibited by law. Daniel could have said, you know what? It's just for 30 days. I don't have to pray for 30 days. After all, I've prayed for my whole life. Or he could have said, you know what? I'll pray in secret where nobody can see me. But you know what? He wasn't gonna change because the circumstances changed. He remained faithful to his commitment. No one ever makes big commitments for God without first having made little ones and lived them out. Before Daniel said no to bowing down to the king's idol, he said no to the king's food. When Daniel saw God helping on the food issue, it gave him courage to trust God in the bigger issues. It works the opposite as well. Compromise once and it's easier to do it the next time. Take a stand once and it's easier to do it the next time. We need to take a stand at the front end of our lives, not trying to wait into the middle, because then we'll never stand. And commitment leaves the results to God. When Daniel asked permission not to eat the king's portion and only to eat vegetables, he said, test us again in 10 days and see if we're not healthier and stronger than everyone else. And Daniel's faith was expressed in his confidence that if I do what's right, God will bless me and God will take care of me. And some Christians have the mindset that if I do the right thing, I'm going to end up alone. I'm going to end up unhappy. I'm going to end up as a missionary in some forgotten remote village. I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be unfulfilled. And I'm just going to lose out on life. That's how some people view serving God, that if they live out their commitment. But you know, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Something wonderful happens when we put God first. God wants to bless us. God wants us to have a, a fulfilled life, a joyous life. But it comes from putting him first. God is faithful to bless those who are committed to him. And throughout Daniel's life, God provided, God protected, and God promoted him to second highest in the Babylonian Empire and then also in the Persian Empire. Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's ways pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So here is Daniel in this foreign culture, in this ungodly culture, 
And yet God's favor is on him and, and the kings, the emperors just keep promoting him, promoting him, promoting him, promoting him. Why? Because of the blessing of God that was on his life. Amen? In the words of an old hymn, it said, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose, and dare to make it known. John Maxwell, Christian author and speaker, writes, the greatest days of our life are the days you sense your commitment to its highest degree. Your greatest days are not your days of leisure. Your greatest days are not even the times when you have your closest friends around you. When something has seized you and has caused you to have a high level of commitment to it, those are your greatest days. They may be days of struggle, they may be days of suffering, they may be days of great battle, but they will be your greatest days. And folks, when, when the commitment to God has seized your life and you want to serve him and love him with all that is within you, those are your greatest days. There may be hardship, there may be suffering, there may be trial, but in the midst of it all, there is joy, there is purpose, there is meaning, hallelujah, there is fulfillment because you have been gripped by the highest commitment of all, a commitment to love and serve the Lord. God. God is calling each and every one of us to make a wholehearted commitment that we may be able to stand and withstand the enemy's attacks and the world's pressure, that we may be able to live our lives purposely for the glory and honor of God. The question is tonight, will you, like Daniel, make that wholehearted commitment to say unwaveringly, I will not defile myself with the world, but I will serve God with all that is within me. If that's your heart's desire tonight, would you bow your heads with me and you talk to God and make that commitment to him and I will pray over us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. Father, I thank you that your word instructs us and teaches us how to live for you. Father, as we stand before you tonight, we just humble ourselves in your presence and we say to you, Lord God, that we want to make a commitment to you that will be unwavering throughout our life, day unto day, that we will not compromise in the little things, that we will not give in to the pressure of this world, that we will not allow this world to change or define our identity, Lord God, but that we will stand in the truth of your word and allow your word to define who we are Lord God we are a people of the most high God we are a royal priesthood we are a chosen generation and we are a light in the midst of darkness for the glory and honor of God father what may we live that out each and every day and may the conviction of your holy spirit help us to walk in your ways day unto day that our lives may bring glory and honor to you in Jesus name we pray amen amen God bless you. We love you. Stay dry and have a wonderful rest of your week. We'll see you on Sunday. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.